Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Hey, how we doing, Centerpoint Church? Happy Easter. We are so glad you're with us. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, whatever lane you're coming from, you're just um, coming here because you need lunch with family, and so it was like, you gotta go to church to get that. We're glad you're here, um, or you're here you know, on your own volition, either way. Um, next week, we start a brand new series because Easter is amazing, but we try to go strong every week. We start a new series called Take Back Your Life. So there is a card on your chair somewhere. One side is her gathering that you already heard about. One side is Take Back Your Life. You may be sitting on it, uh, but we'd love to have you back for that series. I can't wait to preach it next week. Um, and also, they told me to say this. This is uh, shameless. Uh, if you're brand new, free gift uh, mug in the back. So there you go. Um, how many of you are big uh, Hallmark Christmas movie Fans, and I'm noticing between the services, like there's some apprehension with some of you to admit it, and I don't think you need to. Um, Hallmark's brilliant. My wife is a massive Hallmark Christmas movie fan. My goal is not to throw shade on them; like they're great. Um, now that it's not just at Christmas, middle of July, our DVR is full of Hallmark Christmas movies, and so every year, because I want to be a good husband, we negotiate how many of these things that I'm going to watch, and. Um, they're not terrible. It's just, it's like whatever your thing is. So like within 90 seconds, you're like, I know what the movie, I know where this is going. Like done, I'm done. Um, it's like, it's clearly defined, clearly defined heroes. Like everything's just like neatly packaged. You know where the storyline's going. And Nicole knows that. She doesn't care. She's like, I know what's gonna happen in the first 90 seconds and I like it anyway. And it's amazing. And if you love me, you'd watch these things with me. So um, we do that. And then when we get done, because she thinks something's wrong with me, I'll immediately flip over to some dark series on Netflix or how to Catch a Killer or some serial killer documentary, um, which disturbs her. But I, I'm into the like human psychology. I love like layered storylines. I love unpredictability. And so it's just nothing wrong with it. I'm just not into it. And I say all that to say, when you come on the Easter story, like you'd expect, especially if you're trying to get a story you want people to believe, the hallmark version of very predictable outcome, which I mean, it is to you if you know the story, but if you were actually to enter into that weekend, anything but predictable, there's no heroes. It's anything um, but this neatly wrapped story that would be so easy for people to believe. In fact, it's, it's like a little more, some kind of analogy, Game of Thrones is Hallmark. There's denial, there's betrayal, there are no heroes, nobody has any hope. And I don't know if you know this or not, but on Easter weekend, there were no Jesus followers left. Like you would expect some people to be like, we're gonna take his message forward. We wanna keep this movement alive. Or we're gonna fight the injustice of what just happened. And, and that probably there'd be a group of them going, hey, I know it looks really bad on Friday, but he promised some stuff and everything's about to change on Sunday. And yet you get none of that. No hope, no heroes, no followers of Jesus. It just is what it is. But that's what that weekend looked like. And then you know the hinge point, Jesus rises from the dead. 
Or maybe you, you do. If you don't, spoiler alert. I'm sorry, I ruined it. Like, it's like, why are we here? Jesus rises from the dead. That's what happens at the end of the weekend. And everything changes. Because if somebody rises from the dead, everything changes. And here's where I wanna go for just a couple minutes. Like, you may be in the category of, if talking about a resurrection is just absolutely absurd, and I get that. I totally relate to that. But where I wanna maybe encourage you or maybe give you a couple questions to consider, some of the reasons that you have given for walking away from Jesus or maybe never considering Jesus are bad reasons. And that sounds kind of arrogant, but some of your reasons are the bad church experience you had, which I get that. It's some idiot Christian that like turned you off, and I get that. It's unanswered questions, and there's a ton of those, and like, how did Noah do that, and whatever else you're grappling with, or it's unanswered prayers, or it's walking through a circumstance or season of your life where how you thought God was going to respond was anything but your reality, and so you just never considered the Jesus thing, or you walked away from the Jesus thing, and I just say this with as much humility as I can muster, all of those are the wrong reasons for considering whether you follow Jesus or not. They're all legit, they're all real, you should grapple with all of them, I'm not saying that, but the scripture really gives, there's one question that you've gotta answer, and it is the question, and it's, did Jesus rise from the dead? And I know for some, just the thought of that is like, you are insane, man, and I get that, but I'm just telling you to clarify some things, that is the question, because if that happened, it trumps any other question or doubt that you have. In fact, you can still carry those and follow Jesus, because as a mentor of mine said for years, if any dude can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, you just have to follow that guy to be intellectually honest, right? Like you just have to go with whatever they say. They rose from the dead. And so I just wanna encourage you, that you may not follow Jesus, you may still think the whole thing is crazy, but I just wanna clarify for you, all the stuff you've experienced is legit, but the question for you is, did it happen? Like did Jesus rise from the dead in history? And then the second is this, because I grew up in this category. It's like, I just kind of always believed it. I grew up, my dad was a pastor. Um, it was handed to me as early as, as I can imagine. So it's just like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, that's true. And then I went through kind of this deconstruction experience to figure out if I believe that because I was told or because I actually thought it was true. And I arrived at the conclusion I thought it was true. I thought history backed it up. I thought it actually happened. But the thing that like really bothered me for a lot of years is it never made any practical difference in my life. Like we would get dressed up every Easter. Um, we like we'd celebrate it. I believed it was true. Jesus rose from the grave. I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. Like the whole thing. Like I was all in with it. But as much as we celebrated every year, it made no practical difference in any areas of my life at a street level. And it just bothered me because like I would look at these guys, these women in the New Testament, and yeah, like they were in close proximity, so they had an advantage. But everything changed for them. Like life, not like, hey, heaven when we die, or yes, you know, God did something and, and one day it's gonna benefit us. Like it changed all of their life, like Monday through Sunday, their perspectives, how they viewed their circumstances, everything was turned upside down. And I just think for a lot of us, even if we believe it, that hasn't really happened. One of the narratives I love the most is John's account of the Easter story. John was incredibly tight with Jesus. In fact, when he writes his account, he's gonna tell you that, he's gonna let you know. Um, John writes his account and John was there. John was at the, the place where he saw all of it go down that weekend and, and most even secular historians now less and less argue the fact it was written within 70 years. There's no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by any of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
which means it was written within that time frame. John's at the end of his life. Eyewitnesses are still alive, so he writes his account to basically go fact check me. I'm just telling you, it happened. You can go ask people in Jerusalem. And by the way, just side note, like if your thing is, and I get it, the circular reasoning of like, oh, you just believe a resurrection because of the Bible and you read it in the Bible, you just need to know that it's not as easy as, well, I don't believe that I don't believe the Bible because it was written and accounted for by Matthew and then Mark and then Luke interviewed eyewitnesses and then John and then James, the brother of Jesus, which is kind of crazy. And then Peter came along. So you've got to go one by one through every single one of those writers who've been inserted into this library and fact check every single one of them before you go, well, I just don't believe it because it's in the Bible because there's overwhelming evidence within those 70 years that those dudes were there. They wrote about it. They preserved it. A lot of them gave their life for it. And when John writes his account, what always grabs me is, it may not be true, but I'm just telling you, if it were true, here's how you would write it. Because a lot of what John writes doesn't even make any sense. Like if you were in the first century, what John says, nobody's gonna believe that if you're trying to get a movement going to the world to let people know like God is legit. He came through Jesus. He's actually done something in history. He rose from the grave. Here's how it happened. All the ways that John described it happening don't make any sense. There's no heroes, there's no hope, there's a bunch of things that he puts into the narrative that don't give it any credibility. In fact, it takes away from its credibility. But I think it's maybe what gives it power. John starts his narrative like this and he gets off to the wrong foot right off the bat in John 21. He's like, early on the first day of the week while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And, and you maybe know this, the men embalmed the body of Jesus earlier in the weekend. The women are coming back. There's no way they did that right. And so they're coming back to the tomb to re-embalm the body of Jesus. And so Mary Magdalene gets there and she sees that the stone has been removed. Now here's what's interesting about this that is easy to, to miss is the fact that John records Mary as the first to get there. It's like, John, that's not smart. That's terrible fiction. Because in the first century, women had no credibility in court. Women could not be eyewitnesses to anything that would hold up. Women were, in many cases, viewed as property. And so if you're trying to get a story going that people would believe, you just leave Mary Magdalene out of the story because first century readers will read that and go, well, already I don't believe that. If you're telling me that this is based off the fact that women got to the tomb first. And I think John is writing it going, it's kind of embarrassing. None of us showed up. We were all cowering and hiding and running. And Mary Magdalene gets there first. And the only reason I wrote her into the story because she got there first. And she saw that the stone had been rolled away. And then just quick side note, I think there's one other reason because Jesus never did anything by accident. If you look at his life, look at his ministry, that he was a game changer in terms of so many cultural issues. And in a society where it was patriarchal and male domination, Jesus changed the game for women. Just look and read about his life. And so in this moment, it's not by accident, Mary Magdalene gets there first because Jesus is making a statement that he had made his whole ministry that no longer is it male domination, it's mutual submission. And women are gonna preach, lead, and have a key role in my movement to the world throughout the generations. And so it's a reason that the first century hierarchical culture that has existed goes away when Jesus movement is introduced because everybody is on an equal plane. And now men and women, Jew and Greek, Roman, barbarian, they are all going to lead the movement of Jesus forward. It's one of the reasons that Mary gets there first and finds that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And then just real quick, and I'll move on. And the fact that they have a stone there, absurd. 
Like the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate earlier in the weekend. They were like, okay, there might be some crazy fringe groups that's gonna try to steal Jesus' body. This thing has been messy enough. Like, let's make sure we just avoid that. Put a stone there and then we can avoid any further chaos and make sure this whole thing just dies out. The only thing is there is no way that any of those guys were gonna steal that body. They weren't willing to die for Jesus while Jesus was alive. They weren't gonna die for Jesus after Jesus was dead. Again, this weekend, you just need to get the reality of it because maybe you know the end of the story. They were all hiding. They were all betraying in some manner. They were all denying. They were all running. None of them were following. None of them were going, just wait till Sunday. I'm telling you, it's about to go down. Nobody believed. Nobody had any faith. And they were running on Good Friday. They were not suddenly gonna get emboldened on Sunday to steal that body knowing they'd be next on the hit list. If they killed their leader and they stole the body, they would be next. It was dangerous. And then here's the second thing. It would have been pointless. Because here's the thing about Jesus that's different than any other religion. Jesus made himself the center of his movement. Jesus made himself the center of his teachings. He would say things like this. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not saying for you to believe in it or take my teachings forward. I'm telling you, I am it. You're looking at resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, like me. I'm talking about me. I am the Messiah. I am me, talking about me. I am the Son of God. And so the moment that Jesus dies, all of that's lost because resurrection and life doesn't get killed. The way, the truth, and the life doesn't find his way up Golgotha to be nailed to a cross. The Messiah doesn't die. Sons of God don't get put in tombs. And so in that moment, all of Jesus' teachings died with Jesus. There was nothing to move forward. It's why everybody lost hope. And so it's why Mary, who was absolutely devastated, heart ripped out, we all know where we're gonna go from here. We spent three years with this guy. In verse two, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, this is John who's writing this, the one that Jesus loved. John's like, you just need to know. I'm writing this, I'm gonna write myself in however I want. Jesus loved me a lot. And then he said, this is Mary, they, not us, not any of you guys, have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Like, you guys have been embarrassing this weekend, but somebody's taken the body of the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. But nobody thinks about a resurrection. Nobody thinks that something miraculous has happened. In fact, Mary's thinking trauma on top of trauma. We've already had to deal with this, and now it just gets worse because some kind of cruel joke or game is being played, and now we're gonna have to deal with all of the finger pointing and the ramifications of this, but like it just gets worse. And again, as John's writing this, like I'd like to write a hero in. I wish it was me. I wish somebody was still following. I wish that we had been bold. I wish that some of us still had maintained faith, but we didn't. None of us. This is just what happened. But here's the thing I wanna say, because I think it's so easy to point fingers at these disciples and kind of make up our own narrative 2,000 years later. They reacted exactly as they should have reacted. Like this is what you do when you encounter death. This is what you do when you've been following this guy for three years and heard all of his lines and now all of it seems over because here's what we all know intuitively. Death is a dead end. Now, like, we might try to like, get purpose out of it or persevere or make the best of it, but this is just the reality. Like death physically, but just even in terms of death in regard to life, like things just die. Relationships die, dreams die, hopes die, and all of us know, no matter how much we wanna make the best out of something, when you hit up against death, it is a dead end. There is no way forward. And those guys, those women that weekend, they reacted exactly as they should have because they saw death as it was. Our hope is gone. Our best days are behind us. We don't know where we're going from here now that Jesus is no longer around because that's what death is. It's always 
always a dead end. And for them to believe differently would not have been faith, it would have been foolish. This is just reality. And so Peter and John, who are curious, but still not thinking anything has happened, they're thinking either Mary got confused or there is some joke being played, but they began to move toward the tomb in verse three of chapter 20, and John, Peter, and the other disciple, then again, this is John writing, this started for the tomb, and verse four, both were running. John just, he just wants us to know, we weren't walking there, uh, we were running there, both of us. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, so you know that as well. <laughs> so Peter's like, I, basically like, I ran a four, five, 40, and I beat Peter to the tomb, and I just think it's relevant 2,000 years later that you know that. And then verse five, he bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then verse six, Simon Peter, John's like, who's behind me? Just so you know, because I ran into the tomb if you missed the first couple of times where I mentioned that. They arrived and went into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And just real quick, there's nothing spiritual, theological about this, but just OCD tendencies. I love that he rises from the dead and he's like, I'm gonna fold this thing up and then I'm gonna go. <laughs> and then verse eight, this is, this is so powerful. Finally. This is talking about John, John who's writing this, finally. Because Peter may have been rushing there, but, but John, it takes him a while before he goes into that tomb. And there's a reason, because again, we, we know the airbrushed version. But John's thinking, yeah, yeah, I've already dealt with this. And like Mary, this is trauma on top of trauma. I don't know if I wanna go back, and I certainly don't know if I wanna go in, because it's either going to reconfirm the reality of what has already happened that I've been trying to deal with over these couple days, or like Mary just got confused about the whole thing, and I've gotta be confronted with this again. But you have to understand, as John's going back to the tomb, he doesn't know the end of the story, and he views it exactly as he should have. This is a dead end, and the entrance to this tomb represents all of my grief, all of my hurt, all of my dying dreams, the fact that my best days are behind me, that I don't know how I'm gonna move forward any longer. And so as he gets there, he just stops wondering, do I want to add to my trauma and go back to this and confront this again? Because I don't know how I'm going to move forward at this dead end. And I just wonder what dead end you're in front of. And you view it as you should view it naturally, like it's the end, it's, you're, no purpose is gonna come out of this. Like you've gotta endure it, you gotta somehow persevere, but th this is over, it's not gonna be what you thought, you're not gonna get to that place that you had always hoped and dreamed of, it's just a dead end. That's exactly where John is at. And then finally, and come on, isn't it true that for sometimes for God to work purpose out of anything or redeem anything, we've gotta go back to the place of our greatest hurt and confront it again? John says, finally, after I mustered up enough courage, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, by the way, John's like, that was me, also went inside. And it's so powerful. And John's like, let me... And honestly, like for some of you, I wanna, 
I want to maybe blow up your Sunday school theology in like two minutes here real quick, or I want to give some of you who, you know, you're just grappling with questions, is it true? I, I want to maybe give you something to think about and poke some holes in your objections for just a second, and you may not believe any of it, but I just want you to, to think a little bit differently. This, this is the epicenter of why we're here. John's like, we got there, I mustered up enough courage, and I finally went in, and something clicked, and I saw, and I believed. I saw and then I believed. Like, here's what you need to know. We're not here 2,000 years later. There's not millions of people all over the globe celebrating a Jewish carpenter. Because come on, you can love Jesus, hate Jesus. You can't ignore Jesus. He's everywhere today. Like, there, there's not millions of people all over the globe celebrating Jesus. There's not been this movement across every culture, every socioeconomic line, across every continent, every generation. This movement has not survived. We are not celebrating and pointing to Jesus all over the world because people mustered up faith on Easter weekend. Nobody had any faith on Easter weekend. We aren't here because we read about it in the Bible, which is what many of the objections are. And it's like, well, again, it's circular reason. You read it in the Bible, now you believe a resurrection. Here's what you need to know. On Easter weekend, there was no Bible. They weren't turned into John 20, like I wonder how this thing finishes. There was scraps of the Torah, but there was no Bible, and there was no hope, and there were no heroes, and there was no resolution to move forward. There was just despair. And the only reason that we have a Bible is because something happened happened at the point where they thought it was the greatest dead end that they would ever confront. And suddenly these cowards became bold and they began to write down what they saw and what they heard. And 2000 years later, here we are. But the Bible did not birth Christianity any more than your birth certificate birthed you. There was no Bible and there was no plans for a Bible until something happened that was worthy of recording it. And we're not here because of Jesus' teachings. Nobody believed Jesus' teachings on Easter weekend. The resurrection and the life can't die. Messiahs can't die. Sons of God, we're not taking any of that teaching forward. There's nothing for us to carry on. And we're not here because of a stolen body. It would have been pointless. It would have been dangerous. We're not here because of the Bible. We're not here because of teachings. We're not here because of a stolen Bible. We are certainly not here because anybody mustered up enough faith. We are here, John said, because we walked into an empty tomb and we saw and we believed. And then several days later, we had breakfast with Jesus on the beach and we were face to face, flesh and blood with our resurrection and glorified Messiah, and it was only then that we believed everything that Jesus had said and realized it was true. But John's like, you just need to know. There were no heroes. We saw and we believed. And if we hadn't seen it, we would have never believed it. And then when we did, everything changed and we rolled into the streets of Jerusalem among what ended up being thousands of people, among the very people, some of them that actually had Jesus crucified. And suddenly, suddenly the cowards, the runners, those hiding, those betraying, those who couldn't get themselves out of a fetal position in an upper room, those like Peter cowering to a schoolgirl in a courtyard, suddenly those guys, those men, those women rolled into the streets of Jerusalem among the very people who had crucified Jesus and suddenly they get boldness out of nowhere and say face to face with these people, you guys killed him, God raised him, we've seen him and had breakfast with him, you should repent and I know that we were running and hiding earlier Easter weekend but we 
have nothing to hide from, nothing to run from, and nothing to fear any longer. Because when your Savior rises from the dead, the fear of death goes away. And so we don't care what you do to us. We have seen a resurrected Savior. We saw it. We believed it. And John would later say, it's why we began to write about it. It's why we preserved it. It's why most of these guys would give up their lives. But they did not give up their lives for what they say they believed. People do that all the time, all over the world, every day. They gave their lives for what they say they saw. A resurrected Jesus. And it changed everything for them. Like, he, here's the thing that, that I think, like, is, is so often dismissed or not understood, but these guys understood it better than anybody, and how could they not because they were so physically present in the moment is they understood that with what Jesus did on Sunday, it redefined death forever. Like, here, here's the reality of what the scripture talks about is that sin entered the world. James 1.15 actually talks about it, and when sin entered the world, death came through sin and it just started killing stuff. And, and sin brought death physically to where like everybody's gonna die. Like, and and I, I don't know what you think about sin, but there's probably been moments where you think this, this jacked up or this is not right or this is not how the world should be. And Paul in the New Testament actually says, well, that's evidence of sin. It's not supposed to be this way. Sin entered the world. God's plan was not that. His plan was universal flourishing. His plan was universal wholeness. And then sin entered and death came with sin and sin just started killing stuff. It brought physical death, but it just killed things around us. And all of us have experienced that. You've seen sin kill marriages. You've seen sin kill dreams. You've seen sin kill hopes. You've seen sin kill the future for somebody. You've seen sin kill intimacy and innocence. We've seen sin kill stuff. And yet on these, this weekend, everything changed in terms of their perspective because they understood that Jesus had redefined death. And what really gets me is they saw more death than any of us are ever gonna see, most likely. They grew up watching rotting bodies on Roman crosses. And just think from a natural perspective, we, we always forget about this because again, we romanticize it. After that weekend, not a lot of change for them. Their reputations were still gone. They had no life. They had no career from their standpoint. Everything was kind of lost. There was so much uncertainty about the future. And here's what you find about them. It's so powerful to me. These guys, after discovering the empty tomb and being with Jesus, they began to live their life with this level of boldness and fearlessness and joy seemingly untethered to their circumstances. Even though they walked through hell, everything was turned upside down. And I look at that and go, how is that possible? How did you live that way? How did you endure that? How did you stare that in the face and still experience joy and you were willing to give up your life for all of this? And here is what they understood, that death on Easter weekend was redefined and no longer would it be a dead end. The moment Jesus walked out of a grave, death would become a doorway. That God would redefine it forever. And God never meant for death to enter into humanity. He didn't plan it, but he decided that he is going to use it. And come on, imagine the disciples again on Easter weekend as they're staring at that grave, not knowing how it's gonna end. It is the end of hope. It's the end of their future. Their best days are behind them. There is no way forward. And then suddenly everything changes when Jesus walks out of a grave alive because in that moment, death is redefined. This is not a dead end. 
end. Suddenly when Jesus walks up out of a grave alive, it becomes a doorway because Jesus says, the enemy meant death for evil. It was the plot to bring me down. It was the plot to destroy all of humanity. But when I walked out of a grave alive, I took what the enemy meant for evil and I decided to repurpose it for good and I snatched the jaws of death from the greatest enemy in all of humanity and instead I walked through Friday in order to get to Sunday, but death became the pathway to life and on the other side of that, resurrection was possible and in that moment, it redefined it for all of you as well that now when you walk through the doorway of death. It is not a dead end. It is a doorway. And resurrection is always coming on the other side because of what Jesus has done. The pathway to restore life became to redeem death. And here's the thing that you see throughout scripture is that when God redeems everything, he always does it with interest. The proportionate to how many times you walk through that doorway, there is going to be life on the other side. And you may not see it in this moment. You may not see it in the next season, but it is coming. And man, can you only imagine, again, I just wanna go back to it one more time, the disciples as, as they're staring at that. And they look at death the way that we do. It is a dead end. We wanna try to get through it, but it's a dead end. And they're staring at that empty tomb before they know it's empty. And as they're looking at it, they look at their greatest disappointment. They have no idea it's actually God's divine destiny for their life. They're looking at their best days behind them with their hearts ripped out and they have no idea that it's actually the culmination of their best days being in front of them. They're looking at a dead end that represents nothing but hurt and grief and loss and honestly probably anger at Jesus himself going, where in the world are you at? How could you lie about this? Like, where are you in this moment? Like physically even, where are you? And it was the epicenter of God's greatest activity in all of the world. And the worst day for all of humanity was actually the best day for all of humanity. And what was actually victory for all mankind and for them was actually disguised as death. And they thought it was a dead end and it was actually a doorway to God's destiny for their life and for all humankind because he took the greatest enemy and used it to restore life, deciding to redeem death so that death would never be defined the same way again. It may look like a dead end, but in Christ, there is always resurrection that is coming on the other side of it every single time. And that's not to minimize pain, that's not to minimize hurt. That's not to minimize the fact that I would never choose this. That's not to somehow brush it aside. That it's Jesus, if you know the story at the tomb of Lazarus, his best friend, he's there with Martha. And Jesus knows how the story's gonna end. And two of the most powerful verses, or verse in all of scripture, where Jesus just enters into the pain. And it says that Jesus, he just wept. He just hurt over it because there's not some cruel God that has leveled pain on humanity but wasn't interested in entering into that pain. God never chose it. Sin brought death into the world, but God would say, I didn't choose it, but I'm gonna use it, and I'm gonna enter into the pain of all of humanity. I'm gonna feel the pain of all of humanity, and I'm going to redeem and restore the pain of all of humanity, and I'm going to bring life through it. And you may not see it in the moment, and you may not be able to figure it out, and you may not know where this doorway is going, but I'm just telling you, in Christ, because he walked out of a grave alive, God is doing something. It may just look like a dead end in a marriage, but it may be a doorway way to divine destiny and you have no idea 
It may look like a dead dream, but it may be a doorway to what God has for your next season. You may be staring at a mental illness that looks like a dead end. How are we gonna live with this? And it may be a doorway to everything that God wants to do in your life. Like for so long, this was such a Sunday deal for me or an Easter deal for me. And then I walked through my own seasons of the death of my brother at 17, my brother-in-law to suicide two years ago, watching my mom battle through Alzheimer's and, and lose that battle in 19 from a human perspective. And then just even like life stuff, like my wife and I getting married, Nicole, and walking through a season of marriage our first year where she was diagnosed with several mental illnesses and all, everything hit the fan. And it felt like everything that we hoped for, everything that we dreamed of was dying. Because it's a dead end until you realize it's not. We had no idea that God was gonna take mental illness and use it to lead thousands of people to life. You have no idea that what, what God's gonna do through the broken dream. You have no idea what God's gonna do through the loss. You have no idea what God's gonna do from the dead end from your perspective. But the reality is God is working. God is working in your singleness. God is working in that dead relationship. God is working in that dysfunction. And the reason we know it is what Paul wrote to the Romans who are walking through hell when he said this, for we know. How do we know? Because we believe we muster up enough faith. No, 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 no much more intellectually honest than that. We know because Jesus walked out of a grave alive, that's how we know. For we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. You think it's a dead end, it's actually a doorway. There is resurrection life on the other side in Christ every single time. You may get it in this moment, you may get it in the next moment, you may not get it in this moment, but it is coming and God's walking through you, walking through it with you and God has redefined find death forever. Resurrection is coming. God will do something through it. God will work purpose and there is something on the other side and you don't have to have all your objections and doubts answered or mustered up enough faith. All you have to do is look to a resurrection 2,000 years ago that even in the dark nights of the soul when I don't understand it, something has already happened and so I don't need to feel God or hear God. God is here. God has already made it clear. I am walking to the other side. God will reveal his destiny and life will come out of it because I serve a resurrected Jesus. But here's the thing. Let me just end with just, this is just reality. There's some things in my life that I've had to walk through and I haven't seen God work any purpose out of that. And I'm not really sure where the hope is yet. And then there's other things where I've walked through the doorway of death, like literal physical death, where there's no resurrection happening right now. That's not for me in this life. And so what do you cling to in, in those moments? And it's just this, and this is, this is what our hope, this is what we lean into, that death is a reality. But here's what Easter redefined, it is no longer our enemy. Death is a reality, but it is no longer our enemy. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it is logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death, by embracing death, taking it into himself. Jesus is like, I entered into it. He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. And Jesus, again, he's not saying, 
I don't want you to not feel it. I'm just saying you have to see this from the perspective of what I've done in history. It is not a dead end. It is a doorway, which means what you do right now, even when you don't see God, it matters. It means that every time you decide to hold on, every time you persevere, every time you give, every time you love, every time you move toward the marginalized anyway, every time you decide, God, I'm gonna trust you anyway, even when I do not feel you and you haven't answered my prayers for a while, it means that every bit of that matters. It is not in vain. It is going somewhere. There is eternity. God is leading you into something beyond what you can see and it matters and you don't have to fear death and you can be fully present and fully alive to despite what you've walked through, because here's what I know, here's what those guys, those women knew in the first century. You live fully alive when the fear of death is gone. That it may be a reality, but it is not an enemy because nothing is an enemy when it's all going to be given back to you. God will do something through it. And I love what he said. This is the promise. I'm gonna end with this. On Easter weekend, I think the ultimate mic drop moment when Jesus is about to walk out of the grave, he says this. You wanna know how you know? You wanna know the basis of your hope? Revelation 1.18, John records it. Because I'm the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And see, as much as death is a reality, there's gonna be a day we're gonna walk through that door a final time. And we're never gonna have to walk through it again. Because Jesus didn't choose death, but he decided to use death. But what you have to understand is there is an expiration date on death. And eventually it's time will be up and we will walk through the doorway a final time and we will experience life and we will experience that life for all of eternity and we will never have to pass through that door again. And so Jesus says, I'm alive forever and ever and I love this and I hold the keys to death and the grave, which means this, when I walked out of a grave alive, it validated everything that I said, that heaven is real, that your hope is not in vain, that one day, I'm gonna wipe away every tear in my dry every eye. It means that one day I'm gonna trample injustice. One day I'm gonna right every wrong. And one day evil is gonna bow down to me as the resurrected king. And in that moment, I am going to set up a kingdom that is gonna rule and it's gonna reign forever. And in that moment, all of humanity will pass through the doorway of death that looks like a dead end for the final time. And that door is gonna shut. And in that moment, the expiration date on death is up. The expiration date on abuse is up. The expiration date on cancer is up. The expiration date on mental illness is up. The expiration date on suicide is up. The expiration date on broken promises and broken dreams and broken relationships and broken futures. All of it in that moment is up because your resurrected king will declare no more. I hold the keys to death, to hell and the grave. And eventually I'm locking that door for the final time. You'll never have to enter it again. And you will experience life forever. The enemy will be silenced and I will take that dead end, turn it into a doorway to ever lasting life because I am the resurrected king. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I hold the keys to death, to hell, and the grave. And one day that door is shutting. We will never have to open it again. And you will be face to face with a resurrected king experiencing the life that he died and then walked out of a grave to give you. So would you just stand with me all over? 
And I'd love you to, for you to enter into this. If you're watching us online right now, all over, I'm so glad. Or if you're tuning in via radio on WTBN 570, 910, 102.1 FM, all over Florida, all over via podcast, wherever you're at, this moment is for you. It's not just housed in this room. And I just wanna encourage you, if maybe you're in the lane that I've been in for so much of my life, like I just believe it's true. And you're staring at a dead end right now is that you would just pray this simple prayer. And I think God can do the rest, but you would just pray, God, help me to see my circumstances the way you see them because you're alive. That's it. It's my profound prayer. Like, hey, wherever I'm staring at a dead end, the reality is not because I'm trying to muster up faith, but because Jesus has done something in history, it is not a dead end. I wouldn't choose it, God's gonna use it. It is a doorway to God's destiny for my life. And so God, I just pray that you would help me to rearrange my view of my circumstances based on the fact that you are alive. And then the second thing is this, for some of you, like this is the moment where you realize, like I've never begun a relationship with Jesus and the scripture talks a lot about death in regard to that as well, that that all of us were born spiritually dead, which just means that like, there's just something in us that's not right. And you can argue that, but I mean, if you've got a two-year-old, there's something in us that's not right. And there's just, the scripture would say dysfunction, and then there's Jesus, and we need Jesus. And so literally it talks about just dying to yourself. And all that means is you get to the place to go, I can't do this. I can't earn my way to God. I can't undo my past. I can't outrun it. I need a savior. And I think he's Jesus. Not because I'm trying to get a bunch of faith together to believe it because I need something to hang on to. It's better than that. I believe it because a guy died and then walked out of a grave alive and it validated everything he said. So I, Jesus, I'm just going with you. And so it's Jesus' invitation to Martha at the tomb of his best friend Lazarus. And he just said this, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. Whoever believes in, trusts in me, they'll live. And I love that verse because what he's saying is, I'm not just saying, again, muster up faith. I'm saying I'm the resurrection and the life, and I'm gonna prove that by actually resurrecting myself. And so what I did in history is gonna validate who I am as a person, and I want you to place your faith and your trust in me. So I just wanna give you the opportunity to do that. And if you feel this thing inside of you that says, man, I, I've got too much shame, I got too much guilt. Can I just tell you this? If there were limits to God's grace, these guys would have exposed them 2,000 years ago. You're not too far gone. And the second thing is like, well, I still got doubts and I still have questions. You can bring all of those. You can still wrestle with where the art came from and the Genesis account and all the other things that we don't understand. That's fine, come with all of it. The question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? And if there's something in you that says, I, I think it's true, that's not me, that's the spirit of God inside of you. So would you just pray with me? And I wanna lead you in a prayer if that's you to say, in this moment for the first time, I wanna place my trust, my belief in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. You can pray this prayer. Prayer doesn't save you but it's just your way of declaring to say this, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save me. And if that's you with nobody looking around, I don't wanna do anything weird, but just acknowledge what God's doing in this moment. If this is the moment where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus' resurrection and life, would you just lift up your hand? Nobody looking around, just acknowledge that, that this is that moment, even with all my questions to come and go, I'm placing my faith and trust in him as life. Yeah, yeah, get up nice and high. You don't have to be afraid. Nothing weird's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And if I didn't see it, I don't need to see it. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a second. But what you could do is text Centerpoint to 94,000 and we'll send you a quick link, completely anonymous. And it says, I've decided, and you can get more information about this new journey, just Centerpoint, 94,000. Text that before you leave today or later today or sometime this week or go visit Connect Point. Next Steps is a great place to get started. We wanna help people on this journey. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing, saving, redeeming, restoring people 2,000 years later. I thank you that our hope today is not mustering up enough faith Our hope is the fact that you did something in history so that we could know that changes everything. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Would you put your hands together and celebrate really loud those who place their faith and trust in Christ. Little bit louder, because that's a big deal. Let's celebrate. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.